Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Emily Layden is the author of All Girls, her debut novel. Emily is a writer and former high school English teacher from upstate New York. A graduate of Stanford University, her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Marie Claire, The Billfold, and Runner's World. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Okay. All girls. This book cover sort of stopped me in my tracks. I went to an all girls school, I have to tell you, for nine years. And this was oh, not wow. my exact uniform, but this was the uniform of a lot of the girls down the street who I also grew up with. So for that alone, I was like, huh, well, this is interesting. And then <laughs> turned out it was a really great book. So there you go. <laughs> I'm getting that from. So I've worked at several all-girls all schools, but I'm I'm also getting that feedback from a lot of people. I think that like tartan kilt is a very standard girl school uniform. Yes. So tell listeners what your book is about and then what inspired you to write it. Sure. So the novel begins as an alumna of the all-girls Atwater School has come forward with an allegation of sexual assault. And the story unfolds over the course of a single academic year as the school and its inhabitants react to that accusation. The book is multi-POV. It's nine interconnected characters navigate the kind of social mores of prep school life and the broader challenges of growing up against this backdrop of sexual violence and institutional non-transparency. And all the while, the acts of a vigilante prankster kind of threatened to undermine the school's efforts to quash the scandal, really raising questions about Atwater's role as a protector and defender of young women and the power those girls have to kind of nonetheless like assert their voices. So that's the book. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me about my inspiration. Yeah. After that, we can go. That'll just be all we need. <laughs> All in the first two minutes. It's okay. <laughs> so when I sat down to write the book, I really was trying to do two things. I think, number one, I wanted to write something that really honored the experience of teenage girlhood in kind of all its depth and capacity. And I wanted to do that through the lens of an all-girls school. As we just talked about, I spent most of my 20s working at various boarding and independent day schools, the majority of them all girls. And I wrote this book from 5 to 6 a.m. every morning before going to teach, in part because I felt really compelled to write about what I felt I was witnessing every day, which is what it's like to come of age in a place that really promises you the world when that world still isn't totally yours for the taking. Wow. I'm impressed. Five to six every day. Literally, as you're saying that, I'm sitting here thinking, could I like set aside that hour? Would I wake up before my kids and do it? 
I don't know. That's a lot of dedication, but also shows that when you do it a little bit every day, you chip away. And then next thing you know, you have this giant book in front of you, which is amazing. I think it's, I, you know, I think Stephen King, I'm sure many people have said this, but I think, I think it's Stephen King who has like very famously said, like, if you write a page a day at the end of the year, you'll have a novel. And that was sort of, that was the way I, it had to happen for me, I think. This is a good New Year's thing. I mean, I know your book is coming out. When does it come out? February, February 2nd. Mm -hmm. Is that right? February 16th. February 16th. Okay. That's the day my anthology is coming out, by the way. Oh, that's yes. exciting. Yes. Pub date twins. <laughs> Pub date twins. But this is still early enough in the year that people could stop and say, okay, this year, 2021, I'm going to start right now. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to start at the beginning of any year. It could be any date you Absolutely. pick, right? I'm a teacher. Yeah. I don't go by January to January. It's academic. Yeah. I was a teacher. It's academic. The life has lived in academic years, right? Not, not yeah, January. Yeah, September. Yeah. February, February 16th. Let's all exactly. just start writing books. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds great. So the interesting thing about this book, or not the interesting thing, let me rephrase. One of the interesting things about this book is that you cover so many different characters and you don't necessarily go back and dig way back in and revisit everyone in equal measure or even at all. And it almost could be interlinking short stories in a way, except that they're all set on campus. So did you consider writing a book of short stories or how did you come up your multi point of view point mm -hmm. of view? How did you end up doing that? And that, that in terms of formatting and structure of the book? Yeah, fair question. Totally. I think that I, so I don't know if I thought of this as short stories or linked stories, but I, I know that I never thought of this book as a single protagonist book. I felt that there were too many stories I wanted to tell. And it seemed sort of unrealistic and unreasonable to burden a single character with all that I wanted to say. I felt that I could achieve deeper wells, like a greater exploration of a single issue. So mental illness, trauma, sexuality, if I used multiple vignettes. So that's part of it. And then I also think that I wanted to depict a community not just a single person. Um, and that, so I knew I was, I was going to be casting a wide net sort of from the outset. How did you even pick who to start with? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think in some cases the the characters sort of came to me first and I, I, I had a concept for a character and then sort of slotted her in wherever it felt right. But then the book also roughly follows you into a girl's school. So I'm, I'm sure you know this too, that these places are really big on tradition, right? Like the, the events of the year are really important. And so I knew I also wanted to, to chart that sort of rhythm of the year. So sometimes a vignette, I started with something like the holiday pageant and expanded out from there. Interesting. So the character who had the eating disorder with the insure drinks mm -hmm. and who was running and mm -hmm. did track and all Macy, of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Macy, thank you, Macy. Mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah, knew yeah. I was going to like get on this podcast no, and forget all the names. But there are a lot of names to my there credit, right? 
Totally, okay. absolutely. I feel like I remember Lauren's the best, yep. but Macy, you know, her whole eating disorder and does she talk about it? Tell me a little bit about that because I feel like you hear so much about girls in boarding school who might have eating disorders and you've been a teacher and I'm sure you've seen examples of this. And just tell me a little more about her character and how she manages this when like at home you could have somebody's watchful eye over you, right? Mm-hmm. But then once you're away at school, your demons are packed along with you. So what do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. So Macy is interesting to me because when we when we talk about disordered eating is often accompanied by I I forget what the the technical term is, but like simultaneously occurring disorders. So comorbidity. Yes, yes. Thank you. (laughs) So Macy really struggles with OCD and anxiety and her her disordered eating, which in my mind is actually, it's closer to ARFID, right? Like avoidant restrictive. Her, wait, wait, stop for a second. ARFID, wait, what is that? ARFID is, and I don't remember the full acronym, it's Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, I think maybe, huh. A-R-F-I-D. I thought I was like so up on this and now <laughs> there's a new acronym that I don't even know about. Every time there's a no. new eating disorder, like, do I have that maybe? <laughs> Maybe that's no, the one I have. <laughs> you, you, I didn't. I couldn't remember comorbidity, you know. But I, I had okay, arthritis for you. us, yes. so we're, we're getting it together. <laughs> together, uh, we'll make our way through. It. <laughs> so arthritis is like a little bit less. It is really less well known, and and it does. It really has a lot of symptoms that are very close to anorexia. So it, it is a tricky one and a newer one, at least like in the sort of zeitgeist, but. The point is <laughs> that Macy's eating, her issues with food get triggered by her anxiety and her OCD. And so that's really what I was trying to mine with her, even though she is a runner and runners tend to have, there's obviously a high correlation between endurance athletes and disordered eating. I, I really wanted to capture with Macy that idea that so often disordered eating is a physical manifestation of a psychological burden. And it's easy for it to happen at school for her because everything's new. There's so many things that she can be anxious about. So many ways she's thrown out of her normal routine. For her in her chapter, the real trigger is initiation and not knowing what that is, not knowing what something is. High levels of uncertainty are anxiety triggers. So for her, that was just a a quick dive. And as you say, particularly when you're young, she's only a freshman, you don't have as great a sense of what the resources at school are. So where you would go, who you could go to, you don't really have friends yet. So like that, it's very, you are very alone in a lot of ways and you have to figure these things out on your own. The initiation chapter was like, I don't know. And it was like, (laughs) panicking the whole time myself. I feel like you gave me anxiety just reading it. Like, I can't believe they're like in the dark, like what in the lake now, what are they doing? Um, Like, thank God I didn't go to that school. I wouldn't have made it through that part. (laughs) So I noticed in your acknowledgements, which are always my favorite part of the book to read, you mentioned this part about therapy, which I thought was so interesting. So I hope you don't mind that I'm going to read this part rather than anything in your amazing book that I (laughs) 
beforehand. But you said the transition into this new career would not have been possible without the support of my therapist. Good therapy with the right fit is transformative. And yet the fact that I am able to pursue treatment is a privilege. Mental health care should be accessible to any individual who needs it. And I hope that one day such a system will prevail which is an amazing sentiment, one I completely and totally agree with. But to thank your therapist openly begs the question, okay, so what are your, what, what were you in therapy for? <laughs> it's just none of my business, but you know, you're, you're the one who put it in the book. So I feel like I get to ask now. It's, it's totally fair. And I definitely wrote it into the, you write that knowing that people might ask. Today I am people. Yeah, exactly. So we were just talking about Macy. I do really struggle with anxiety and that, and I, and I, and disordered eating, not ARFID, but becoming a full-time writer, you know, I, I loved teaching. I left teaching to do all of this. We sold the book very quickly. My life changed overnight and that was very very difficult. It's, it was, it was one of those moments, you know, people talk about all the time, it's everything you've ever wanted. And it feels terrifying. And terrifying I really... How. We talk <laughs> terrifying how. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a combination of, you feel immense pressure. You know, we did sell the book very quickly. And I suddenly felt like I had better live up to this. Even though the book was already done, there's really nothing left to live up to. But you feel like, I'd, you'd better live up to this. And now this is my job. I had better write another book. <laughs> like I had better prove that I'm not just a one hit wonder, or at least those are all the thoughts that manifested initially, right? Like now I know how to talk back to some of those. And I am working on that publishing is a journey in which like 90% of it is out of your control. <laughs> but that whole new job, whole new world, whole new set of expectations, even though I had ostensibly asked for all of it, that was incredibly anxiety inducing and really a moment when I needed to, I've had therapy, I've been in and out of therapy for a decade, but it was really a moment where I like, I really needed that, needed that safe space to, to process. I feel like I should run a support group for big deal first time authors or something. <laughs> Because, no, seriously. I just like earlier today, I was on a, a Zoom with an author who had been on the bestseller list forever. And she recounted her fear at starting her second book and, yeah. you know, how her husband had to talk her into doing it and saying, it doesn't have to be the same book and it's okay that it takes you longer. And, you know, yeah. the pace might be different and it's okay. And cause she couldn't even write. She yeah. was so yeah. thrown by it. Yeah. I think with most successes, people only focus on the good parts. Well, it must be perfect, like blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot that goes into everything. And change in and of itself can be very stressful and anxiety producing, even if it's something good, like good change or and bad change. Change is change and change rocks the system and brings up all sorts of old issues. So I get it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's so hard because it is like, I know how lucky I am and I'm so grateful. And I know that two years ago, I would have committed murder to be where I am right now, <laughs> but like it's real nonetheless. So yeah, I know it's universal. So. Even if it's good, doesn't yeah. undermine what you're going through. <laughs> yeah. Can you go back a little bit to the selling of the book? And so you wrote the book from five to six in the morning. And then what happened? You got an agent and immediately sold the book. Is that what happened? Yeah. So I 
it's funny, you know, I, I actually do come from a family of writers. My dad is a writer. My uncle is a longtime journalist. My cousin, who I'm very close with, is a television writer. But I still went through the normal, like, query process. I just finished the manuscript and I sent it out to a bunch of agents, got a few offers, and ended up with Lisa, who is just like, I adore her. <laughs> Talk about therapist. She also <laughs> definitely does her fair share of that for me. And we did, a, I would say, a light revision together. And then we sent the book out. This was like June of 2019. And yeah, sold it. I mean, it was the next day in 24 hours. So in 24 hours, I was teaching. It was the last day of school. And, and Lisa was calling me and emailing me. And I'm literally like trying to, you know, <laughs> wrangle a bunch of kids and keep just like keep them safe on the last day of school. And also, like, talked about a book deal. <laughs> have you read Writers and Lovers by Lily King? I have not. It's a huge oh my gosh. on my, yeah, I need to read it. You definitely need to read it after that story. <laughs> not to give anything away about that book, but you have to, now you have to go, okay. like, wipe some time clean in your holiday season or something and okay. read that book. Okay, I will. It will relate. Well, that's crazy. And it just happened. And then you went with that publisher and that was it. Yeah, it was so... And we had a we had a preempt offer, so oh, okay. And, you know, instead of going to auction, and and I talked to I talked to Sarah at at St. Martin's, and she didn't go to a girls' school, but she did go to a prep school, and she had been looking for a campus novel forever, and I felt like she really understood exactly what I was trying to do with the book. So it's been great working with her. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very exciting. So, have you found it to have? made it more difficult to write having the success and the sale and everything. Are you able to write now? Like, are you working on another book or? It's true. I think, and I've heard other people, other writers say this on your podcast that sometimes I think the less time you have, the more productive you are. Yes. (laughs) So I, I definitely think that in some ways when I had to go teach all day and I only had that hour in the morning, I really used that hour. I was super focused, you know, no having around online. It was just, I was in the zone because it's all I had. Now I find sometimes I can fill four hours with the same (laughs) amount of work, but there is that still wrestling a little bit with that pressure of like feeling like the next one has to be, has to live up to whatever expectations have been created by this one. I am working. I've got, I'm working on a couple of things. I am sort of bouncing between a uh, multi-generational family narrative, sort of in the vein of everything I never told you, and a book that is engaged in exploring kind of what it means, the difference between like gold star good. So like, you know, like in school when you get like a gold star, it's a gold star good and like ethically, morally good. So when we say that someone is a good girl, for example, what do we, what do we mean by that? And which one and which set of expectations are we operating with? Mm, So very cool. That was vague, but interesting. I like it. I like it. (laughs) We got to keep it. Yeah, really I get cocoon it. Cocoon it. <laughs> I won't get, I won't try to tear anything else out of you here. <laughs> what advice would you have to aspiring authors? So I'm an athlete. I'm a runner. And just as sort of the only way to be good at running is to do it, right? Consistency is the key. 
I feel that way about writing too, that the only way to get better at writing is just by writing. But I, I would also, I would add that in running, rest days are important as well. And I, I think that in writing, the same is true, that it is important to take time away from the project semi-regularly to give yourself space just to rest. I could tell, well, I couldn't tell necessarily, but I had a feeling that you were a runner after what you wrote in the book and the feeling of running and what it did for you or the character emotionally. And I don't know, there was something about the passage you wrote there that I was like, uh-huh. I bet you this is Emily talking here. Yeah. 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 Guilty. What event did you, like, did you compete in, in track? No. So, well, so I actually, I played lacrosse at Stanford and then in my I've always been a, like running has always been the love and lacrosse is kind of the sport that just gave me other opportunities. And so now in my post-collegiate life have been ha- very happily a, just a runner. So I do, I do races, but like, and, and any distance, but yeah, it's more about the day to day. I played lacrosse in high school. Oh, no way. And then when I went to Yale, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll try to walk on the lacrosse team here and I'll give it a shot, you know? <laughs> They're pretty good. And I like showed up to, yeah, I know, which is why it did not work out. <laughs> I showed up my first day, you know, like, hey, I'm walking, you know, and everyone's like, oh, I had the most assists like in the country. I was recruited from XYZ school and this and that. And I don't know. I, I lasted maybe a week and I was like, okay, not only am I like two feet shorter than everybody, but I'm definitely less skilled. I'm only so. five one, So you can be, I say, I'm, okay. you can be I'm five two. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, now I can't use that excuse, but I like it. I like that excuse. Oh. There are many others. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I could have played you if I weren't probably 20 years older than you as well. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, Okay. Well, anyway, Emily, congratulations on this book. I'm so excited. I'm excited we have books coming out on the same day, even though mine's an anthology. Yeah, that is still like really excited. And I'll be rooting for you at the success of this book. And you have like a natural built-in audience with all the girls' schools, and that's very strategic (laughs) and awesome of you. So yeah, it's great to it's great to meet you over over Zoom. (laughs) It was great to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. All right. All right. Take care. Bye -bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 